Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 and then 17 through 19. Hear these words. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for those who are in the present, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of life, which is really life. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The first church I ever pastored without training wheels was the Kenner United Methodist Church in the beautiful metropolis of Kenner, Louisiana. And um, It was an interesting four years, had a great time there. But one of the things I did because I was a young preacher just starting out and I really wanted to learn how to do this. And some of you are thinking, well, why didn't you learn how to do this? But anyway, one of the things I did is I went to Lights Egan Funeral Home and I talked to Charlie Egan and I said, Charlie, if over the course of these next few months or years, uh, somebody dies and they don't have a minister and they don't have a church, would you call me? Let me do the funeral. I figure it's a great way to learn how to do a funeral. After all, the wedding ceremony, everything you say is right there in the book. But funerals, ah, a little bit different. So Charlie said, Doug, I'd be glad to do that. And if people don't have a minister for a funeral, we'll call you. And over the course of the four years I pastored that church, I did nearly 200 funerals for not only church members, but for people who also didn't have a church home. Those are the hardest kind of funerals to do for people who don't know Christ and who have no connection to the church. You have to really listen to the family. You have to to learn what the people liked, what they uh, thought were important. Uh, And you do that so you can, at a funeral, not preach the dearly departed into heaven, but comfort the family who remain. I've heard way too many stories. Preacher, you just, he was a good guy. He would give you the shirt off his back. He would do anything for anybody. He was just the greatest fella. Never could get up and go to church, but he was the greatest fella. One Friday afternoon, we were at the Garden of Memories Cemetery in Metairie, and I was doing one of those funerals for a family that didn't have a pastor. And we'd had the service in the chapel, and we'd done the funeral procession to the Garden of Memories Cemetery. And y'all, 
I was putting in the ground at that time, and I know because I ask, a $22,000 mahogany casket. And it was the most beautiful wood. And they weren't putting caskets and vaults in these cemeteries in that part of Louisiana. They just stuck them in the ground, and I knew that they were going to put this gorgeous mahogany casket in the ground and shovel dirt over it. So we did everything we did at the, the graveside. I did the words of interment, um, did the benediction, greeted the family, and I was just kind of lurking around because I had ridden to the cemetery with Charlie Egan. And um, the fam- Charlie did what he needed to do with the family, and um, I knew I'd get to hang around for them to put the casket in the ground before we would leave. But Charlie came up to me and said, Doug, I've got one more thing I need you to do while you're here. Now, I don't know if you've ever buried anybody, but there isn't a lot left to do once you've buried anybody. And I'm thinking, well, what else can he have for me to do? And Charlie said, I'm going to drive you over to another part of the cemetery. There was a, a seaman who was on a Soviet freighter this week in the port of New Orleans, and he died in port. And the Soviet government does not want his remains, and they've told the family they will not ship him back. So we've put him in a... We put him in a box, is what they did. And we're going to bury him in a pauper's grave. But would you say some words over him? So we drove to the pauper side of the cemetery just land with unmarked graves. And the little white flower van came around a corner. And a couple of guys got out of the van. They opened the back of the van, and y'all, they were literally carrying a refrigerator box. And they walked in, and they, they laid him beside the hole because they didn't even put those little straps on the hole that, where you place the casket. They just laid him beside the hole. They got back in the van and drove off, and Charlie handed me the clergy card, and he said, I'm going to go back over to the other place. When you get finished here, just walk on over. His name was Alexander Ferdinand Troyvich. He was a, a seaman from the Soviet Union. He died in the port of New Orleans. His age was unknown. His family was unknown. His faith was unknown. And so there I stood on a Friday afternoon in front of a refrigerator box. I was the only mourner, and I was officiating. What do you say? I quoted the 23rd Psalm mainly because I carry it around with me all the time. It's in my heart. I can quote it right now if you want it. And then for some reason, 
This passage of Scripture just popped in my brain. It is from the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. God is aware of the sparrows that fall to the ground. God knows each and every one of them. So I told Alexander Ferdinand Troyevich, I said, I don't know how you grew up. I don't know if you had a, if you're a dad or um, a husband. I, I don't know. But Alexander Ferdinand Troyevich, I do know that God knows you. He has known you since you were formed in your mother's womb. He knows you. The contrast of that day has always stayed with me. And the passage about the sparrows always reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, those sparrows. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For that's the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is telling us, strive first for godliness. That ought to be your first priority, godliness, living a godly life living in relationship with Jesus Christ, living in relationship with one another. And it's out of this godliness that Paul says, guess what? There's great gain with godliness combined with contentment. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all that I have. I've got all I need. As a matter of fact, he tells Timothy that God richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. God provides us richly with everything for our enjoyment. This morning, do you know what it means to have great gain with godliness and contentment? Are you content with what you got? Are you content with the bare necessities? We don't like bare necessities, preacher. We want rich necessities. We want necessities that are hyped up to the next level necessities. We want what our neighbors got. 
Contentment is such an elusive thing. There's a whole economic system based on your discontent, based on the fact that you may not have what somebody else you know has. And in order to be happy, you've got to get what they've got. Or better, you've got to get something bigger and better than what they've got. What is it like to live with contentment? I've done several volunteer mission trips to Reynosa, Mexico and the colonias that exist along the uh, United States-Mexican border. And um, Reynosa is a place you never heard of, but Dell Computers knows about it because Reynosa is where most of the chips for Dell Computers are manufactured. It's a growing, thriving, enormous uh, city with a lot of poverty. The second year we were there, we were staying at the the compound where they they would put Louisiana volunteer and mission um, groups, and they would take us out on day trips into these various colonias to do our, our ministry, and they told us that we're going to take you to a place that's special. And what we were going to do is we were doing vacation Bible school. We were doing, there was a dentist along with us, and there were two OBGYNs along with us. They looked for something for me to do, and they finally found a job that I could do. I was the big dipper. I worked with the dentist, and I cleaned dental instruments. So proud of that. Uh, I have in my office a cow horn, and if anybody's argued with a cow horn, you know how much fun that is. That's what they use to extract your teeth. That was a reward for doing that. So we are all packing up our stuff. The ladies doing vacation Bible school are packing up vacation Bible school because they were going to do one vacation Bible school. I was getting all the dental equipment together and all the cleaning equipment and all the lights and everything that went to that and putting it in the van. And the OBGYNs were getting whatever the OBGYNs need to do what they were doing. And we just all piled in our vans and we started riding. And they turn the corner and we become aware that we're in a garbage dump. We see the trucks coming in dumping trash and we see the burn piles and the piles get taller and smokier, and we're wondering, why are we in the middle of a garbage dump? We were in the middle of a garbage dump because that's where the church was. And we went to the garbage dump where the church was because the people who attended that church lived in the garbage dump. They would take the refuge and they would cobble together a place to live. And that's where we did vacation Bible school and a dental mission and a medical mission. Because that's where the people lived. 
Fortunately, they gave us about an hour to unpack and get set up and get ready for the day. Because we were trying to program this. The Methodist church was in the middle of the garbage dump. They'd taken stones and they'd painted them white and they'd put them around the church. The church itself was painted pink. It's the first and only pink Methodist church I've ever seen. And at the appointed hour, people started coming for vacation Bible school or medical care. And I learned one of those hard lessons that you learn on mission trips. That those people who lived in the garbage dump, they didn't live next to it. Have I told you they lived in it? They were happy, contented, and at peace. Because they had this inner relationship, of course, with Jesus Christ, but they had this great sense of godliness that they wanted to serve their God and live for their God, and they wanted to do the best they could for their kids, the best they could for their family. And yes, they lived in a garbage dump, but they had hope that one day, one day they would move out, that one day their hard work, their hard work would aid them And being able to have a roof over their head that was a real roof. They had hopes and aspirations. The same hopes and aspirations that you and I have. But they hadn't made it an obsession. They were content. They were content where they were. Paul warns us in the 6th chapter of 1 Timothy that it is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Paul never says that money is evil. Jesus never says that money is evil. Making money is evil. Rich people are evil. He never says that. It's when you become obsessed with money. When you get to a point where money is driving every decision that you are making and you feel like you don't have enough And you do almost anything to get more. Last fall, I looked at my uh, Board of Pensions account, Westpath, the United Methodist Board of Pensions. And I logged in. The account came up. And I said, holy mackerel. Tamara, come here and look at this. This is our account balance on my board of pensions. I can actually retire when I'm 80 years old. Isn't this great? I won't live this long, but look, Tamara, how much money you'll have when I'm gone. You see, you need to know that if you want to know how old I am, you go in Super 1 to the banana shelf. You know, there's there's the green bananas that are really young bananas that you buy for your kids to eat at the end of the week. Then there are the bananas you get for banana pudding. They're yellow. Might have a spot or two on them. And then there are the bananas you buy for bread pudding or for, yeah, uh, for banana bread. There you go. Those are the real soft ones. I'm someplace between banana pudding and banana bread. I'm definitely not a green banana. So I was real proud. Look at this. About 
four weeks ago, I went back to the website and I looked at my pension account and I went, holy, another kind of fish. Tamara, come in. Look at this. I can't ever retire now. I've got to work until I die. It's terrible. I'm not going to worry about it. I was never going to get that money anyway. Tamara's going to get it all. Hang out with her. She's going to go on cruises and she's going to have all kinds of fun. You'll, you'll want to be her friend when I'm gone. But some people would just sit there and fret and stew and try to figure out how to recoup all the money they've lost. I didn't lose it. Stock market lost it for me and the board of pensions. But I'm really rich. And you are too. I once bought a pontoon boat. And some of you have swimming pools and some of you have boats. And either or both are just water in which you pour all of your money. And my pontoon boat cost me $14,500. It wasn't very big. It wasn't very fancy. I don't even think it was brand new. But that's what it cost me, $14,500. If you take $14,500 and you go to India, you are a rich person because the per per capita income in India is $2,000 a year. If you take the 14,000 here in the United States, you're living in abject poverty. But here's some other numbers for you. If you made $1,500 last year, if you made $1,500, you're in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, and you live in a house or an apartment, and you have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you're among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. Have $61,000 in assets? You're among the richest 10% of the adults in the world. If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and you live in your own home, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. If you have more than $500,000 in assets, you're part of the richest 1% in the world. You and I as residents of North America are the richest people on the face of this earth. There are millionaires among us living next door to us. We have assets. We have means. The question is, do we have contentment? Have we learned there's great gain between with godliness and contentment brought together? Jesus told, um, there are two examples of this from the ministry of Jesus. The first is the guy we know is the rich fool. The rich fool is a fellow, a guy comes to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and all these things you have prepared, whose will they be? That fella had no hint of godliness in his life and no hint of contentment. He just wanted more. Well, there's another character in the New Testament that illustrates this. Jesus is going out on a journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. And you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. That young man had godliness. He was a good guy. He clicked off for Jesus everything that he'd done that was good. And Jesus didn't contradict him. He nodded and said, Yes, you're a good guy. You lack contentment. You haven't learned to be happy with what God has given you. You haven't learned to trust God for your daily needs. You're leaning on the uncertainties of riches, as Paul would say. So, in your life, where are you? There is great gain. There is great gain in godliness, with contentment. Are you satisfied with the bare essentials? Are you satisfied in the place that God has you? Are you satisfied, contented, that God will care for you? Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for all that you have given us, for the financial blessings, for our homes, for our food, for our clothing. We thank you for our church. We thank you, God, that we know you will care for us and watch over us. And we pray that we would always have that faith to walk that journey with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.